When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, Tom. I am in Europe now, in the Netherlands, uh, at, at, at a location where I can be temporarily for those who just were uh, forced to leave uh, Ukraine. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, we take a deep dive into a compliance topic. Today, we take things in a very different direction as we have our colleague, Tim Kazanov-Batarov. Tim is a compliance professional from Ukraine. He is now a refugee in Europe. He talks about getting to Europe from Ukraine, being a refugee, and what you can do to help the people of the Ukraine during the invasion by Russia. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode with Matt Kelly. And today we have with us Tim Kazanov Bartarov. And Tim is a good friend of both Matt and I, and Tim is Ukrainian. And uh, you may know him as Compliance Man, who I've done multiple podcasts with over the years. And we are here today to visit with him about uh, Ukraine, his situation, what he's doing with himself. So, Tim, first of all, uh, welcome and thank you so much for visiting with us. Thank you, Tom. Nice, nice to see you, Tom. And Matt, as always, Thank you for having me today. So, Tim, could you tell us uh, where you are today as we record this, and what is your situation? Yes, Tom. I am in Europe now, in the Netherlands, uh, at at, at a location where I can be temporarily for those who just were uh, forced to leave uh, Ukraine. So, uh, we are just trying to find out what will be our future uh, how we'll be able to to work or not to work in Europe? Uh, what what consequences will be with this uh, legal status and all these things? So I among many of people, most people are saying that about uh, UNS is saying that about one million people has left the country as kind of uh, refugees or those people who have temporarily displaced, and they've been uh, thinking that maybe three more million people will will leave Ukraine due to war. Uh, very shortly, and most likely they will go to Europe, where I'm now as well. So, Tim, are you with uh, colleagues? Are you with uh, friends, family? How did you get out of Ukraine and make it to the Netherlands? Unfortunately, my colleagues uh, won't be able to go uh, outside Ukraine. I mean, all the team. I don't know even where many of them are now. Some of them has left the country earlier or later on, but still uh, I don't know where are my many friends and colleagues. Some of them are fighting, some of them are outside of the country, so this is a very um, tragic situation when we don't know how, how our friends are doing. So, uh, as to my story, I, I, I was residing in Kiev, and on the third day of war, we were told that the troops will be attacking Kiev, and I went to the rail station, central rail station, and I was going to take a ticket to go to the west 
meaning to the western border of Ukraine, uh, because everybody is just going uh, from the country in the western direction to the Europe. When I went to the central station, I found out that there were too many people, and there was no, I was not able to get a ticket. So I just found out that the only way would be to go by car. So I uh, found out that there were three little children and a woman staying at, at, at this big crowd, uh, hoping that they will be able to get the ticket uh, for the train. But it, it, was, it was absolutely clear for me that they won't be able to get the ticket because there were too many people and there were no trains. I mean, they, they, they were not scheduled even. So I, I suggested, I asked him, how, I asked them, how much money you have? They said, $30. And I was asking, where are you going? They said, we don't know. So I just decided to take them. And uh, we, I, I, I uh, uh, grabbed a taxi and I asked the taxi driver, do you want to go out of this town with us without without no with, without going back? And he said yes, because everybody was uh, in such a stressful situation. It was uh, uh, the people are just uh, uh, trying to not to be affected by war because it was too too close at that moment. So we took the car and we were doing 600 kilometers for 28 hours, while normally it takes a lot of less less time. Because we had checkpoints and all these things. So when I went to the western uh, border of Ukraine, I was in evacuation train. So it, when you have a lot of people trying to get to the train, and just for you to understand how crowded it was, I can tell you that in the toilet we had seven people plus 12 bags in one toilet room. So it was, yeah, it, it's experience that many people also had when we were trying to... To escape the war. You have uh, actually lived in Russia and uh, you've worked in other countries outside of Ukraine. I wanted to ask, how do you think that the Russian people uh, feel about this attack on Ukraine? I believe that at least whom I know, they're absolutely against the war. They absolutely do not understand why, why it was needed. Uh, they are uh, they absolutely shocked by what's going on in Moscow for for now because it's 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 it was for in, the, for in the beginning it was a big tragedy for Ukraine for Ukrainian people for us who are residing there. Now it's also a big big stressful and tragic situation for ordinary Russians because now everything is stopped, nothing is working. Uh, all big uh, Western corporations are leaving the country. Uh, the country is facing the sanctions, and nobody nobody supports that. The thing is that under the, the traditionally the Russian propaganda is very strong. So there might be some people who still believe that it was a good idea, but I'm sure that the majority of Russians just do not support this this war absolutely. They don't want it. So Tim, you mentioned the refugee crisis, and you said that there's already a million Ukrainians in the West or in Europe, and it could be as high as three million. What are some of the ways that you and your colleagues are trying to either get the word out about uh, the refugee crisis or help? Uh, what can we do to support you and your efforts to help you and your fellow refugees? Thanks, Tom. Thank you for asking, because we are, in, are whom I talk from the Ukrainian community, people who left the country and whom I try to help somehow, are in need of everything. 
So we have a num we have a couple of situations here. First of all, we have refugees who have left countries, uh, who have left the country. And actually, for example, I have some acquaintances from Kharkiv, and Kharkiv uh, was a very big uh, city. Now, people, uh, the residents of Kharkiv, who are now I uh, meet in, in 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 Europe, are saying that the half of city is not existing anymore because it was bombarded heavily. So those people are in need of everything. The second situation is with those who are still staying in um, in Ukraine. So. For those who are staying there, I urge everyone to help uh, by um, donating to the Red Cross. And there are also bank accounts that are opened by the Ukrainian government for those who want to help Ukrainians. So I uh, ask our legal and compliance community worldwide to help by uh, uh, donating uh, financial funds to, to the Ukrainian government. The second option would be just to directly, uh, the third option would be to approach me directly if there are some corporations would like to help people in Ukraine uh, as I am uh, in contact with the humanitarian uh, headquarters of the government of Ukraine. So uh, in terms of charity, in terms of humanitarian aid, we will be able to coordinate these efforts. And if some of our colleagues think that the, their corporations could help, so I will be glad to assist them in doing that because people are really in need. Three weeks ago, they were just ordinary people. Would, nobody would think that these things are happen, but now people are just uh, need everything. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back with some questions by Matt for Tim. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Uh, so, Matt, over to you. Yeah, thank you, Tom. And, Tim, it's it's really a privilege to have you on here. We're glad to hear that you're safe. I first wanted to ask you to maybe tell listeners a little about how close Russia and Ukraine used to be, that, you know, the culture overlap, the languages are very similar. I always thought of it as like this. And not only is this war wrong, but just dumb. Like, why would Putin decide to do this? It makes as much sense as the United States invading Canada or Australia invading New Zealand. Like, why would you ever invade your your cousins? But is that the right way to sort of think about Ukraine and Russia before the war, how close these two countries were? Matt, you're absolutely right. Those are two very close nations, culturally and historically. And we can add also Belarus, the third country, which uh, which is in that in that region. So Russians and Ukrainians traditionally were very close. They called each other brothers. In the Soviet government, many people were from, were from originally were from Ukraine. 
uh, Ukrainian artists are well known in Russia. For instance, President Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, is a well known person in Russia because he was a famous producer, uh, film producer, and uh, actor. So. Uh, of course, nobody among my Ukrainian friends and colleagues were expecting things like that. Nobody. Nobody would think that it, it might happen like that. We don't know what Putin has in his head. Maybe uh, he wants, you know, just to yeah. invade uh, Ukraine because Kyiv was called as a mother of all Russian cities back to to old times. So maybe they think have they have some sacral our understanding of what they should do, or maybe we just don't know what was the reason. But I can tell you for sure that Ukrainians were not uh, absolutely ex expecting such a huge invasion. Nobody expected the war. And uh, even those who had sympathy for Russia, because they have a lot of relatives there, and they um, know about Russian culture, now uh, Putin, you know, got an absolutely... Opposite scenario, nobody loves him, nobody understands why they were doing that because they are just bombarding mm -hmm. cities. You know, I wanted to ask another question about ethics and compliance, since that's what we all were here for first, that, you know, I have seen some people saying this is why anti-corruption compliance matters. You can't tolerate a little bit of corruption. You can't say this is just part of the culture. Because eventually the corruption leads to d tyranny, dictatorships, uh, and then you lead to a like a failed state. Like seriously, what is Vladimir Putin thinking? He has ruined his country, no matter what. And it's a straight line from anti a corrupt culture to corrupt governments to despots to failed states wrecking the rest of the world and. Ukraine is the, the center of it, but a lot of other countries are going to wind up paying the price for this, too. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that and the importance of anti-corruption and why this stuff matters. Matt, thank you. That's a very, very good point when you have mentioned that. Corruption. And first of all, they made a corrupted country, meaning that they have oligarchs, they have some guys of the, which are in the inner circle, while the majority of Russians are poor. The second thing, and that's very important, they were thinking to invade Russia, as people saying, very quickly, probably in three days. And all we know how much Russians were investing in their army. And this could be like that. But the corruption in army is well known mm -hmm. in, in the former Soviet Union. I mean, everybody understands that those money were just stolen. That's why uh, what they were doing now are just, as I, I've heard, they've been using old tanks and all these things. So the thing is that corruption led to failed country. That led to the, uh, to the weak army, no matter how much they were investing in that. So corruption was like uh, a cancer for, for, for the state, for everything. So now they can't do anything because of corruption. They can't change him or do anything else. So I fully agree with you that corruption is a problem that causes a lot of consequences to the emerging markets and could lead to such terrible, unfortunately, consequences in certain cases like ours. I had another question about President Zelensky and his leadership. So there is this school of thought 
in military strategy that a senior officer really should just focus on setting a few broad objectives, but most of the time work on building a strong culture in the army or in the combat unit and building a strong sense of community and trust. And it really looks to me like that is what Zelensky is doing. He is just an enormously inspirational hero, but most of the defense of Ukraine, like he's not running that. Ukraine is trying to defend itself here and there where it can, but they have done a fantastic job, I think because of his approach to leadership. At the same time, I think Putin has been terrible and he's proven the opposite. Nobody knows why are we doing this? Nobody knows what to do. The army, as you said, is totally corrupt and inept. And hence, we see this very small outgunned force in Ukraine doing amazing work against a much larger foe. And there's a lot of parallels there with corporate culture and building a good, strong corporate compliance culture. I just wanted to ask your thoughts about what do you think of how Zelensky is doing and inspiring Ukraine to be one people against these enormous odds? I agree with you, Matt. So the, the, you have mentioned two absolutely different scenarios of corporate or state culture. So in case of Ukraine, we have a guy who is very open, very communicative, very uh, enthusiastic, inspirational. He talks to people. He is very close to people. And people themselves are believing him. And people do a lot by themselves because they, they believe in him. They believe in, uh, in the country. In the opposite case, we have Russia, where people do not understand why they, he is doing that. Everybody just afraid to tell him the truth. We don't know what's going on there in the inner circle, but the thing is that you're absolutely right. This is the example of the bad corporate slash state culture, and that's why everything is so bad for them. They, 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 they're getting in more more troubles from day to day. It's an isolated country. It's, it's worse than Northern Korea now. People are leaving, uh, are leaving Russia. Uh, Russians are toxic for the whole world. And nobody understands what's the reason, because nobody supports army. Everything is that bad, as you said, because a lot of things depend on the on the leadership, on the tone from the top, as we say uh, in, in our compliance world. So mm -hmm. I fully agree with you, Matt, that we see opposite scenarios. And as you have said, even having much, uh, even being weaker from the military point of view, if you have a true leader, who can inspire people because a lot of Ukrainians, a lot of them are defending their country and do their best to to protect it. While Russians are not supporting things that they think might be just, you know, something really, really harmful to, to them. So I fully agree with you. And then my last question, I, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but, you know, when will this war end or how i i don't know but i'm i'm still struggle with how ukraine will live with russia after this however the war might end but i mean russia has done something terrible and irreversible to the relationship with ukraine that used to be so close and i i just i wonder how on earth you know, the, these two peoples are going to try to get along again after the fact. I don't know. And I, I don't know what you might think of that. That's a good question, Matt, because I, I talk to people who are who are in Ukraine now. I ho I talk to people who has left the country and everybody just everybody is still shocked. It's a big trauma. 
and I, I'm not sure that they will be brothers uh, afterwards. I can tell you, for example, that I ha have, have met a woman with a, with a child, and she said she needs a doctor, a, a medical doctor. I said, why? She said, uh, my, my, my child is not speaking for six days. Uh, they were leaving the city that was uh, absolutely under attacks of Russians with all those bombs and rockets and all these things. So, of course, this is something that won't be forgotten. That is why I, I, I'm sure that, first of all, they won't have this brotherhood anymore. Uh, since 2014, with, with these Crimean stories, uh, it, 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 it started, I mean, this separation. But now it's uh, for sure will be absolutely clear. So what's going to be, what we expect afterwards? Uh, I think that people still believe that it, 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 uh, it, will, it, will, it will be over. People still believe to come back to, to their homes, but everybody realizes that uh, they won't be in safe position because um, Belarus and Russia is so close and they have rockets and they can use the artillery from, from being uh, being located even at their territories. So I think uh, that people are still don't know what's going to be, but they still they, they are not in, in safe. They, they, they feel that it's not safe. And of course, as we as we discussed, I think this brotherhood was just was was just blown up with these rockets and all these things. Those are all the questions I had, but I just wanted to say the the one or two compliance officers in Russia I have talked to, managed to talk to, they're all horrified that Putin has done this. And this is what they think about, is that the brotherhood has been ruined now. And they, they had friends in Ukraine, and they have no idea how they'll be able to look those friends in the eye after this. Um, and then Putin shut off the Internet. So I, I don't know how those Russian friends of mine are doing today. But, you know, I, Tom, those are all the questions I had. But, Tim, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Matt. I, well, I was glad to talk to you, Tom. Thank you for your time. And I just urge you, dear friends, the dear legal and compliance community to help Ukrainians uh, in the way how you can do that by donations, by asking your top management to, to make uh, charity uh, payments, to, to donate everything, to, to work with the Red Cross guys, because uh, this, is really, this is really needful. And nobody would think that this could happen in 2022, but it's, it's, it looks like the Second World War, but now maybe it's World War III. So please help us, uh, help Ukrainians, and this is something which I would like to, to, to point uh, specifically. Thank you for your support, Tom. Thank you, Matt, for your support. Thanks, Tom. It will be really interesting, Matt. Maybe we, we, if you decide we can continue our conversation, sanctions. I am getting so many calls from Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, the countries which are very close to Russia. Now they're starting to think about the sanctions. I talked to the Minister of uh, uh, Minister Automobile Industry of Uzbekistan. He's uh, already a compliance expert because they don't they have to find out what to do. So it's it's a compliance time now. So I'll be glad to make these recordings, Tom, and uh, I hope that if you will be interested, Tom and Matt, to, to, to join me at some point of time for some discussions, 
I think it, it will it will be great because it's time for compliance officers. Tim, thank you so much for uh, sharing your your st- a little bit of your story with us, and we will certainly hope to continue this conversation. Tim, I think about you and some of the other compliance colleagues I know in Ukraine often. I'm glad you're safe. This is Tom Fox again. I know Matt and I speak for the entire compliance community when we wish the best for our colleagues in the Ukraine and those that have evacuated. And our thoughts are also with our compliance colleagues in Russia who are caught up in this uh, through no fault of their own. I'm going to link to the Red Cross site for donations in the show notes, and I hope you will consider a donation for the people of Ukraine. You may not think there's much you can do, but probably at this point, anything you can do for those still in the country of Ukraine and those who are uh, refugees in Europe now would be most greatly appreciated. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.